Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. A very common assumption that a pastor will make when looking at their congregation or looking at the people who are around them, a very common assumption is is that the purpose that they have in these people's lives is to try to find some way to get them to stop sinning. This is a very popular assumption, and in many cases they are actually hired by a congregation of people under the assumption that they are going to come into the congregation and teach the people how to stop sinning. This is a very common assumption and does result in a lot of very interesting side effects. For example, the pastor had better figure out how to get all of the sin out of his life first before going into this congregation, because if he hasn't figured out how to do that, then quite likely he's going to be exposed as someone who is not fit for the position that he's been asked to fulfill. This can be extremely threatening, and for this reason, and of course several others, a pastor will often isolate themselves from other people just enough so that that person can stay away from people so that people do not see what they really struggle with in their daily life. This is a very common challenge that they have to deal with. But in a public sense, when they approach people or when they present their sermons every Sunday, the assumption is is that they need to find a way to get people to stop sinning, that that is their role, that is their purpose in other people's lives. Now, there are several ways that a person might try to motivate others to stop sinning. A very common methodology, a very common way of trying to motivate people to stop sinning is to offer them blessings, to say that if they will stop sinning, then God will bless them. He will definitely provide them with many blessings in their personal life so that they could say that they are blessed by God because of their obedience to God and because of their repentance from their sins. This is a very common motivator that is expressed. Another very common motivator is to say that they're going to get rewards in the future, that they will receive rewards in the future to the extent that the rewards will reflect or represent the success that that individual experienced while they were here on earth, that if they succeeded in avoiding many sins in their life, if they succeeded in being very obedient to God, then they would be given perhaps greater responsibilities or a greater inheritance of some kind, that they will experience rewards in heaven that will be a reflection of what they managed to accomplish, and of course these will be the envy of other people who failed to live in obedience as this person did. This tends to be a very common, a very popular motivator as well. But another motivator is to say that God is going to hurt you, he is going to punish you, or he is going to discipline you. That God will try to find some way to intervene into your life, to intervene in such a way that he will cause great pain and suffering in your life until you get it right, until you stop sinning or until you start obeying. Until that happens, he's going to continually find ways to get involved in your life to make sure that you do not experience any blessings of any kind and that you experience a great deal of pain and suffering in order to motivate you, in order to encourage you to try harder and to actually succeed in your pursuit of not sinning. These are some of the common motivators that are expressed by various pastors in order to try to get people to stop sinning. 
It's either the promise of blessings, it's the threat of punishment, things like that, in order to try and modify people's behavior in a way that the leader wants it to be modified in order to give a proper reflection of what they believe a person should live like. Now, there are many passages in the scriptures that are used in order to support this point of view, and I certainly do believe in these scripture passages. The problem that I have, however, is that my competitors, the various pastors who are in the world today, my competitors seem to use these passages in a way that I certainly do not agree with. The conflict that I have is not a matter of, is this in the scriptures? That's not the problem. The problem is, what does that passage mean? What was the intent of it being written? Why was it said? Why was it recorded? These are the kinds of questions that do need to be considered, do need to be asked when considering these subjects, especially as it relates to specific passages in the scriptures. For example, consider 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, we have an example of how the threat of punishment might be used in order to try to encourage someone to stop sinning. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. And he goes on and he lists a number of sins, things that are definitely sins. And I would encourage you to read through this passage. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and see what the Apostle Paul had to say with regards to various sins, that they are definitely sins. But what he says in the beginning of verse 9, which is what I want to focus on, is that he said that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a very powerful statement, and the way that it is applied is it is applied in a way to say that if you do not stop committing these sins, then you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. You will in no way inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will have no place in the kingdom of heaven. And so you had better figure out how to stop committing these sins. And of course, there are many sins as well that were not listed. This is just a short list in order to make a point. After all, there are some sins that some people struggle with and other sins that other people do not struggle with. And so it depends on the individual with regards to what kinds of sins they really appear to be struggling with. There are plenty of sins to go around, and we could certainly pick a few that would apply to a specific individual, and then mention this to them in the context of, you had better stop it, or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But what does this effectively mean? If that's what he meant to say, if that was his intent, was to say that a fornicator, or an idolater, or an adulterer, that these are the people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven, And so make sure you don't commit these sins, because if you commit these sins, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If it was his intent to say these things for the purpose of trying to get you to stop doing these things, well, then it's never going to happen. That will never happen, because we all struggle with sin to one degree or another. And like I said, we may not struggle with these, but there are other sins. For example, in verse 10, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10, he mentions covetous. Covetousness? Have you ever coveted anything? Have you looked at your neighbor's ox or his wife or his car or something else that your neighbor might have that seems to be of value and wish that you had what he had? That's an expression of covetousness, of coveting. That is a violation of one of the Big Ten Commandments, and so you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if you are still doing that. But just imagine this. You might live your entire life with full, complete obedience to the law of God. And then, five minutes before you die, 
for some reason, for some unexpected reason, just the circumstances presented themselves, you thought about committing adultery or you thought about coveting something that somebody else had. And then you unexpectedly died as a result of some accident, perhaps, or just because of natural causes in life. You died. You go to heaven, and the Lord says, you know, you did really well throughout your entire life, up until that last few minutes that you were down there on earth, and then you just blew it. And so as far as I'm concerned, you can go to hell. Is that what you really believe? If that's what you really believe then there is no way you will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. And so if that's the case, you might as well just give all of this up now, go out and indulge your flesh because you're just going to end up in hell anyway. And so you might as well enjoy what you can here on earth while you can and live with the full expectation that eventually your time will be up and you will go to hell and that will be the end of you. If this is what you want to believe, then this is the only logical result that you could actually come to. But this is not what Paul said. Paul did not write this for the purpose of trying to give us a motivation or to frighten us or threaten us into stop sinning. That's not why he said this. In order to understand this, it's very helpful to continue reading. If you continue reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. In other words, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You are a person who is sanctified. You are a person who is set apart. You are a person who is no longer identified as a person who is a fornicator or an idolater or an adulterer or a coveter, anything like that. You may have been identified that way, but you are no longer identified that way. And the reason why was because you were washed, as he says in verse 11. You were cleansed, in other words. And the only way that we could have been cleansed is through the forgiveness of sins, through what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us on the cross by dying for our sins. He then, at that moment, put us in a situation where we were no longer going to be identified on the basis of our sins. Instead, we were set apart. We are sanctified or we are holy because of what he accomplished. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do not believe that it is the forgiveness of sins that makes someone sanctified. I don't believe that. I believe that the Apostle Paul left out a very important transition, and that is that you were washed, you were cleansed, so that he could resurrect you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And through the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you could then be born again, or born from above, born anew, and in that way, through the rebirth, through the regeneration or resurrection of your very being, you would then be sanctified. And so I believe he left that out. I don't think he had to include it because the intent of this is not to talk about how you stop sinning. The intent of this is not to explain in detail how you get saved or the transitions a person goes through in order to be saved. What he is intending to say here has to do with a person's identity. This is a passage, in fact, these verses that are attached to it have to do with an individual's identity in Christ Jesus. In verse 11, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Such were some of you, but you are not. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and in the spirit of our God. In other words, that is who you may have been, but that is not who you are now. I believe that this is a very important passage that is not to be used for the purpose of trying to threaten people to stop sinning or else they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I believe that Paul wrote this for the purpose of exaggerating the point that you have a completely new identity now, a completely new identity. You are an entirely different person who is sanctified, who is justified. Those are very important words that have a lot of meaning to them. And so if this is the case, then why would people not pursue these things? Well, certainly the threat of hell is not going to encourage someone to stop sinning. You may be able to modify their behavior to a certain extent, but you will do nothing to transform their heart. You might be able to frighten them to a certain extent to keep them from doing certain things, but the fear of punishment does nothing to actually change a person's heart. A much better solution is to deal with the reason why people would commit these sins. And that's something that no one seems to want to talk about, no one seems to want to deal with, is the reasons why people pursue sins. Instead, it just seems to be so convenient, it just seems to be so easy to either threaten them with punishment or offer them a carrot of blessings or rewards in heaven, and they believe that that is what's going to change a person's heart and life. But I see no evidence for that at all. Absolutely no evidence whatsoever. I don't see any evidence that this really transforms a person from the inside. I have witnessed that many people's lives have been changed because of their fear, because of their desire to be blessed, and that certainly does have a significant effect. But I can also compare that with the transformations and changes that happen within a person's heart. If they recognize who they are in Christ, and they recognize what they have in Christ, and they experience a personal interactive relationship with the Lord Jesus, that is very different than experiencing a personal interactive relationship with yourself trying to get your flesh under control. Those are two completely different ways of living. Do not underestimate the significance of what I'm telling you here. For example, if you continue to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 into verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, he is saying very clearly that all things are lawful, all things are permissible to include fornication, adultery, idolatry, covetousness, all those things are lawful. The reason why, or all things are permissible, depending upon the translation you're reading, the reason why he would say that is not that you have been given permission to go out and indulge the flesh so that you can go out and indulge the flesh. The reason why he is saying that is to say very specifically that all things are lawful or permissible because there is no penalty that can be inflicted upon you anymore because the Lord Jesus died for all of your sins. And so because he has truly died for all of your sins and taken all of your sins away, because of that truth, there is no sin that will be held against you. There is no act of disobedience against any law that will be held against you. But he doesn't do that for the purpose of setting you free so that you can go out and indulge the flesh. He has not done that so that you can be mastered by these sins or be mastered by the temptations that you will be exposed to throughout your entire life. Instead, he has set you free from these things so that you can have an entirely new identity. You can be an entirely new person so that you can receive something from your God that you could have not received before. 
For example, if your God does not hold any of your sins against you anymore, then he can love you in a way that he could have never loved you before. He can accept you in a way that you could have never been accepted before. And just consider those for a brief moment. Just consider the pursuit of love and acceptance that we understand well in our own personal lives. Just think about it for a moment. Think about all the decisions that you have made, all of the sins that you have committed, all of the choices that you have made in your life because deep down inside you wanted to be loved or you wanted to be accepted and you knew full well that you were not going to be loved perfectly or accepted perfectly, but the temporary satisfaction of the belief that you were actually being loved and accepted was enough to drive you to commit those sins so that you could have a temporary reprieve from the deep emptiness that is within you because there is no other way that you can experience any satisfaction or any peace in your heart because you have no other place to get it from. But if you recognize that your God does not hold your sins against you anymore, if you recognize that you are a forgiven person, and that your God sees you in an entirely different way than how he saw you before you were saved, that he sees you as a saint, he sees you as someone who is justified, who is holy, who is sanctified, and he considers himself privileged to be a part of your life, to be within you, to participate in your daily activities as you live your daily life. If you would look at your relationship with him in that perspective then from that perspective, you should recognize that he truly does accept you and he truly does love you. If you would only receive that love and acceptance that he has for you, then it would set you free from the inside. It would set you free from pursuing sin in order to obtain satisfaction that you think it's going to provide for you. It would set you free from that. You would therefore not be mastered by those sins. But if there is anything that you believe that makes you believe that he holds any of your sins against you, that he does not see you as a sanctified holy person, if there's anything that you believe with regards to any subject whatsoever that is presented in the scriptures or that has been presented in a sermon or in some other message or in a book, anywhere, in any way whatsoever, if you feel that he does not truly accept you, if that's the case, then you will not experience the acceptance that he does have for you, and you will be condemned to be in a position to go out and pursue sin because you truly have no alternative. And so what's the conclusion then? Well, the conclusion is very simple. You are a child of God. You are someone who is born again of his spirit, who has been sanctified, who has been justified, who has been forgiven. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. However, for some silly reason, you have decided to go ahead and pursue sin. And while that is permissible because it won't be held against you, it will put you in a tremendous amount of bondage that will prevent you from experiencing the new life that he has really provided for you. And you will not walk in the new covenant that he has established for you. And as a result, while you're preoccupied with yourself and your sinful, evil desires, you will not have much of an opportunity to grow to know your God to really experience him as a person and to experience the inheritance that he has already given to you. You certainly have an inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven, but he has also offered you a part of that right now. All that you can apply here in this world right now, he has offered to you that part of your inheritance that he has given to you that can be applicable. He has given it all to you. 
But you have no idea what that is. You have no idea what your inheritance is because you still believe that what you need is found out there in the world through committing sins with other people in other people's lives. For some reason, you believe that that is what you need and that is what is going to enable you to enjoy this life that you have in front of you. But my friend, that's just not the case. It's not the case. And the sooner you recognize that it's not true, the better. Because if you don't recognize that, you will not possibly be able to receive what he has available for you. When you first come to know the Lord Jesus and are born again of the Spirit, it's unlikely that you're really going to know much about the relationship that you have with him. And that's just fine. And I realize that in most cases you're going to struggle with the sins that you struggled with before. There will be a time of transition as you really become knowledgeable and grow in an understanding of who the Lord Jesus really is in your life. I realize that, and it's very important for everyone to recognize that. But you need to pursue this. You need to truly pursue the inheritance that he has provided for you and grow to understand what you already have in Christ Jesus. If you're preoccupied with trying to obtain blessings from him, then you have no idea what the blessings are that you have already received. If you're trying to live your life because you're afraid he's going to punish you in some way, if that's the case, then you have no idea what he has actually done for you already through the forgiveness of sins. You don't really believe that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore. If you believe that he's going to withhold rewards from you in heaven, then first of all, you have no understanding that those rewards that you are going to probably receive in heaven are not going to have any real tangible value there at all anyway. I personally believe and I have found that most people who are preoccupied with these things are preoccupied with these things because they have nothing else to be preoccupied with. They have no knowledge. They have no concept, no understanding at all with regards to what they already have in Christ Jesus. And so at this time, I would sincerely encourage you to pursue a knowledge and understanding of what he has already offered to you and realize the implications of what he has already offered to you. Because you live your daily life right now in the pursuit of satisfaction, in the pursuit of peace, in the pursuit of rest. You are constantly trying to have deep needs in your heart met. And the reason why is because you have no idea how your God truly can meet those needs, that he wants to meet those needs. But I would venture to say that the reason why you are not experiencing that is because you don't believe that he accepts you, you don't believe that he loves you. And something as simple as thinking that he is not going to bless you or he's going to punish you because of your sins, something as simple as that can prevent you from ever experiencing the inheritance that he is truly making available to you. At some point, you are going to have to choose. At some point in your life, you're going to have to really decide. Either you're going to decide that the forgiveness of sins through Christ Jesus is truly enough, that that has now established a new relationship that you can now live in, with your God. Either you believe that and this new relationship has to do with him no longer holding your sins against you in any way whatsoever. You have to choose to believe that. If you choose not to believe that, if you choose to reject that, then there's only one alternative and that is to live the rest of your life with a fear and an expectation that eventually when you go before the Lord and you are judged by him, the true and righteous judgment will be that you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You have to choose what you're really going to believe. Now, I'm not saying this to try to encourage you to believe something that sounds better than something else. I'm saying this because this is what I see in the Word of God. 
on the basis of what he has accomplished, I sincerely believe that he no longer holds any of our sins against us, that we have an entirely new and different identity because of what he's done for us. And this identity that we have is the description of the freedom that we now have. We have been set free. We have already been set free so that we can live and enjoy all that our God has available for us if we would only believe it, if we would only receive it, and if we would only live our daily life with the fullness of what we truly have in Him. I find it very interesting how the Scriptures have been written in such a way that if we have a preconceived idea with regards to how we feel our relationship should be with our God, that it is very easy for us to go into the Scriptures and find passages that may support our preconceived ideas. I find it interesting how the scriptures are written in that way. And to be honest with you, I do see that there are two primary divisions. The first division has to do with what I believe, and that is that we are saved by grace and we are sustained by grace, and that we have an entirely new identity as a result of what Christ Jesus has done for us, and he does not look at us in any way like we were once before. But then the other perspective has to do with the Lord looks at us in the midst of our successes or in the midst of our failures in terms of what we do or what we have failed to do. And on that basis, he evaluates us. I do believe that those are the two predominant perspectives that people take when they approach the scriptures. And I do believe that the other perspective in terms of our obedience and repentance is a valid perspective, at least in terms of the old covenant because that was how our God related to the people here on earth, more specifically the children of Israel, because that's who he made his covenant with. But that everyone could be evaluated under the same basis or under the same law or similar laws, that if they believed that they could esteem their right standing with their God by their obedience, then they could be evaluated in terms of their obedience. It certainly could be done. And yet the New Covenant was given because it addressed other concerns, other issues, more specifically those issues that have to do with the Spirit, that have to do with our heart, whereas the Old Covenant never really dealt with those. The life of repentance and obedience and trying to put all of the sin out of our lives, that is a life that will eventually end in nothing, because the maximum benefit that we could ever achieve by living in complete obedience to all of the commandments that God gave by removing all of the sin out of our life, the maximum that we would ever be able to obtain would be blessings in our flesh that have absolutely nothing to do with actually knowing our God. But I sincerely believe that the new covenant is about actually knowing your God, not being preoccupied with yourself and the sins that we struggle with, but instead to grow in a knowledge and understanding of who he is. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net